0: Rosaria Butterfield was a professor at Syracuse University, and she was also an unbeliever. She wrote an editorial criticizing Christians, and soon she received a letter from a local pastor inviting her to his home for dinner. But this wasn't just a one-time dinner, but her experience included an ongoing regular meals with the pastor and his family. And these dinners not only changed uh, Butterfield's life, but they led her to an opportunity to give her life to Christ and to be saved. She's now a professing Christian, and she explains this. She says, the way that they were practicing hospitality became living, breathing examples of their theology that they were teaching. They didn't just see me as a project. They saw me as a neighbor. Hospitality takes strangers and makes them neighbors and takes neighbors and leads them to become part of the family of God. This great opportunity that we have to disciple other peoples comes from opening up our homes and opening up our lives to connect with other people so that they can see us live out our faith over shared meals and over conversations, as we build authentic relationships with them. Jesus spent time with other people, and Jesus ate with them. And as we're going to see today, Jesus had compassion on others, and that drove him to sacrifice self to serve their needs. Friends, we've been studying through the Gospel of Matthew, and Jesus has been teaching us and he has been showing us how to live in the kingdom of heaven, how to live under God's authority, how to be salt and light. And last week, we jumped to the end of Matthew, and we saw all that Jesus did to suffer, to care for our needs, and to serve us. Two weeks before that, we saw that Jesus, he was starting something new, and that showed through whom he invited to come and follow him. He called and invited sinners like Matthew and sinners like you and sinners like me to come and follow him because it's sinners that Jesus came to serve and to to save. Well, today we're gonna see how Jesus had compassion for other people. He had compassion for the needy, the hurting, and the lost. And that led him not only to heal them, but also to sacrifice self to care for them. But Jesus not only cared for other people, but then he also calls his disciples, he calls us to carry out the same uh, mission that he, he did and learn to sacrifice self to serve others. He will tell us that the workers are few and we should learn to pray, Lord, send me. Lord, send me. So if you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me over to the book of Matthew. We're going to be in chapter 9 there. And if you don't have a Bible, we have some on the back table. We would love to give you a copy of one for you to take home as a gift from us. Matthew chapter 9. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. It's kind of closer to the back than it is the front of the Bible. And the first book of the New Testament and the first of four books that we call the Gospels. Matthew chapter 9. We're going to start there in verse 18. So open up and read along with us. We'll have it up on the screen as well. Starting in verse 18, it says, While he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him and so did his disciples. Let's pause there for just a moment. Mark and Luke give us some more details about this uh, synagogue leader. They tell us that his name was Jairus. Now, a synagogue leader at that time would have been a volunteer leader in the synagogue, which is kind of like the, the local church of the area, but uh, in the Jewish religion, they call it synagogue. It's a place where the followers uh, of God who were Jewish would gather together, and a synagogue leader would have been a volunteer leader uh, in the synagogue, and they would have been somebody that would have been a prominent men- member of the community. Uh, they've been well-respected by by everyone in town. Um, they oversaw the affairs of the synagogue and they oversaw the worship gatherings of the synagogue. Now, Jairus, his position as a synagogue leader would have been jeopardized simply by him coming to Jesus to ask for help. You see, because the popularity of Jesus had increased with the people and as his popularity increased, so increased his opposition from the religious leaders who would have been Jairus' overseers, right? But Jairus' daughter was so close to death that he was willing to give up his position as a chance to save his daughter. And when Jairus finally gets to Jesus to bring healing to his daughter, he gets word that his daughter had already died. And yet Jairus still believed and trusted in Jesus that Jesus could still come and bring her back to life. And so he pleads with Jesus to come and to raise his daughter back to life. And Jesus and his disciples immediately head out to see to Jairus' daughter. But on the way, Jesus is going to be met by a woman who suffered physically for 12 years. But not just physically, she also uh, suffered socially as well. And she's going to hold Jesus up from making it all the way to Jairus' house. Look at verse 20 says just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came behind him and touched the edge of his cloak she said to herself if i only touch his cloak i will be healed jesus turned and saw her and said take heart daughter he said your faith has healed you and the woman was healed at that moment for 12 years this woman had suffered physically from bleeding. Now, the law of Moses and the Jewish tradition would have made this woman also unclean. She would have been seen much like we saw with the man who had leprosy as an outcast from the community. So not only had this woman suffered physically for 12 years, but on top of that, she was seen as an outcast to her community and she suffered socially because of that as being seen as unclean. Mark tells us that this woman not only had suffered physically and suffered socially, but that she had also suffered financially because she had spent all the money that she had on doctors and she had no help at all. There was no hope left from her in her at all. And she thought, if only I could come and, and just touch the edge of Jesus' cloak, she might find healing. Her her shame led her to try to secretly find healing, but immediately Jesus turns and draws attention to this woman, not to embarrass her, but to help her publicly be restored for all to see. He says, take heart, daughter. Your faith has healed you. Jesus not only does what none of the doctors of that time could have done, He brings physical healing to this woman. But Jesus also publicly announces this woman for 12 years who had been seen as unclean and an outcast, publicly announces her as clean and restores her social standing. Jesus is moved with compassion for this woman to help her, not just physically, but mentally and socially as well. He wanted to bring healing to her body, mind, and soul. Well, Jesus and his disciples, they, they do end up making it to Jairus' house. But by the time that they get there, the crowds had already started to gather. And they were mourning this girl's death. They were there weeping and wailing. And we see this in verse 23. It says, when Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house, he saw the noisy crowd and people playing pipes. And he said, go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. And after the crowd was put outside, he went in and he took the girl by the hand and she got up. And news of this spread through all of the region. Jesus didn't need to draw any more attention to himself because word about him was already spreading over so much. And as his popularity grew among the people, so also raised his opposition from the religious leaders. Mark Moore writes this and he says, all this attention would lead to a premature announcement and an incomplete understanding of Jesus's messiahship. And so Jesus tells the crowds, hey, this girl isn't dead, she's asleep, right? Now, this is similar to what Jesus said about his friend Lazarus who had died to his disciples. And they said, well, if he's sleeping, uh, well, good, he needs some sleep. He's been sick, right? And Jesus says, no, no, he's not asleep, he's dead, right? But Jesus didn't want to draw any more attention to himself. And so he says the same thing about this girl, that she is asleep. And the crowd begins to laugh at him, knowing that she is dead. So finally, the crowd gets sent out of the house, and he goes in, and he raises this girl back to life, and then news about this, as you could imagine, spread all over the area like wildfire. Now, following this, not only had Jesus healed the woman who had suffered for 12 years, not only had he raised Jairus' daughter back to life, but these two blind men begin following Jesus, and finally, after he kind of gets away from the crowd, he he privately goes and heals these two blind men and he warns them not to tell anyone about this because Jesus knew that as as his popularity increased, not only would the opposition increase from the religious leaders, but but also the chances of people misunderstanding his messiahship would increase as well. But these formerly blind men didn't listen to Jesus at all. (laughs) And they go and they tell everyone that they can the news about Jesus. Jesus' popularity was spreading. And with it came more criticism and more opposition from the religious leaders. And we see this in verse 34. It says, But the Pharisees said, It is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. Jesus didn't care. Look at verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So, even with the increase of criticism and opposition coming from the religious leaders, Jesus didn't stop doing what Jesus does. He kept on preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. He kept on healing the sicknesses of the people. He kept on casting out demons of those who had them. But this was Jesus' standard MO. For him to go and to bring healing not only physically, but to bring healing spiritually. That's why he went and he taught about the kingdom of God. This is why he went and he healed the sick. This is why he uh, went and, and drove out demons. All because he was concerned about God's will and the kingdom of God being carried out. And because he had compassion for those who were hurting. He looked out on the crowd and he saw that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus cared deeply for other people and so Jesus healed their physical sicknesses. Jesus also cared deeply about their spiritual sicknesses, which is why he was teaching, and ultimately, which is why he sacrificed self to care for their greatest need, to have their sins paid for and forgiven. Jesus had compassion for the needy, the hurting, and the lost. And it moved him to sacrifice self, to care for them. But not only did Jesus do something to bring healing to those people who were hurting, but Jesus then also commissions his closest followers, his disciples, to go and to carry out the same mission, to care for those that are hurting and lost and and in need. And he calls us to do the same. Look at the next verse in verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So, as Jesus is going to all of these villages, and he, he's moved with compassion for these people because he sees that they are, are, are needy and hurting and lost. Not only does he himself do something about that need, but then he turns to his disciples, these guys that he had been pouring into for the last many months and years, pouring into, and he turns to them and he says, guys, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. In other words, Jesus was telling them to pray for God to send workers and then to say, send me. Is what Jesus told his disciples. You see, Jesus not only tells us, but he also shows us. And then he also sends us to go and to care for other people. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, he says, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for who? For you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. What's the example that Jesus has left us? He suffered for us. So that we would go and sacrifice self and suffer to care for the, other, the needs of other people, just as Jesus has done for us. Jesus has set the example for us in this. He suffered to serve us. He was moved by compassion for us and for the whole world that he sacrificed self for our greatest need to have our sins paid for and forgiven. And friends, he wants us to follow in his example. And friends, if we are going to follow in his example, we've got to start seeing other people as he does. We've got to start seeing other people as as he does. And in order for us to do that, we need to start praying for them. Here at Journey Church, we say it like this. We say that we follow the example of Jesus who sacrificed self for the needy, the hurting, and the lost, And when we do this, we are putting our faith into action. When we are mobilizing to to help our community and our world, even when we are called to sacrifice and suffer to care for the needs of others above our own. Jesus sacrificed self, putting the needy, the hurting, and the lost above his own needs. And friends, he calls us to follow his example in this. And it begins... By us seeing other people as he did. If we're going to start seeing other people as God does, it starts by us praying for them. All throughout the New Testament, we see a command to pray for each other, to pray for others, to pray for those who persecute us. In fact, that's what Jesus has already told us in Matthew chapter 5. In verse 43, he says, You have heard it said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote. He said, I can no longer condemn or hate a brother for whom I pray, no matter how much trouble he causes me. Friends, we will begin to see other people differently when we begin to pray for them. We need to start praying for other people. We need to start praying not only for each other, but for others, even, even those who cause us trouble, <laughs> even those who persecute us. We need to start praying for them by name. Every morning I try to pray for uh specific people. I have a list of people that I try to pray for every single day. And I don't always, uh, I fall short often, but I try to. I pray for my wife, Suzanne, and, and our son Camden. I pray that God would draw uh, them near to him, and that God would help me uh, to be the husband and the, the father that he has called me to, to be. I pray for some people by name who are lost. I pray that God would, would draw those people and open up their hearts and their minds to see their, their need for them, and that God would use me to point those people to them. I, I pray for others that are suffering and hurting. Pray for some people by name. Start praying. For others, because when we start praying for other people by name, we will begin to see them differently. As Bonhoeffer said, we can no longer condemn or hate a brother in whom we pray for, no matter how much trouble they may cause us. If we want to follow the example of Jesus and serve others, it starts with us praying for others, it starts with us seeing them as Jesus does, with compassion, with care, with love. And then Paul, he gives us some great insight in how we can practically serve other people, how we can practically follow the example of Jesus. And we find this in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 29. He says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. And let that sink in for just a minute. Because I, for one, need to hear that. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may, that it may benefit those who listen. Paul says, Let no unwholesome talk come out out of your mouths. Friends, far too often, if I'm honest with you, I'm guilty of just that. Now far too often my words are used to tear others down and not to build them up. Far too often I have to repent of this. But friends, if we want to follow the example of Jesus and we want to serve the needs of others, then we need to follow his example and use our words to build them up and to encourage them and not tear them down. We need to let other people know how much they are appreciated and how much they are valued, not only by God, but by us. Friends, we may not be able to heal the blind or raise the dead to life, but friends, we can certainly shine some light into a dark day with a word of encouragement to other people. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is helpful for building others up. Friends, we can serve other people by controlling these crazy things in our mouth, our tongues and using our tongues to build other people up and not tear them down. And then Paul gives us some things for us to stop doing. In verse 30, he says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Friends, verse 31 here, this bitterness, this rage, this anger, this brawling, all of this comes from our jealous hearts. That's what James tells us. He says, why do you fight and quarrel? Because you are jealous and because you don't have, because you don't ask. Or you ask with wrong motives. Friends, unwholesome talk about other people, begins with us gossiping about them. Can you believe what so-and-so said or did? Or we just outright tear them down to their face and say, you can't do this. You're worthless. But soon that unwholesome talk leads to bitterness. Our lips begin to curl every time we see that person or hear their name. And bitterness, unchecked, leads us to rage. And rage to anger, as Yoda said, anger leads to hate and hate to the dark side. (laughs) I'm a big Star Wars fan, if you didn't know. (laughs) Bitterness turns to rage. Rage to anger. And anger leads us to fighting with each other. And then fighting leads us to destroy someone else with our words by slandering them and tearing them down. And it all starts by us harboring unwholesome talk in our mouths against other people. Which is why Paul started with that. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only which is good for building others up. This is where it begins, but the end is destruction of the other person. Friends, we all believed the lie growing up that sticks and stones... May break our bones, but words would never hurt us. It's a lie straight from the pits of hell. Words do hurt us. In fact, words can can hurt us so badly that they may never heal. Words are powerful. We need to watch our mouths. James tells us that our tongues are a restless, a restless evil, full of deadly poison, that are set on fire by hell themselves. And Paul tells us that when we allow this unwholesome talk to come out of our mouths that leads to bitterness and rage and anger, that when we do this and and we end up slandering other people, he tells us here in verse 30 that we grieve the Holy Spirit. We grieve the Holy Spirit when with our words we tear down our brother or sister. Friends, if we are going to follow the example of Jesus, we need to start praying for others. And then we need to let no unwholesome talk come out of our lips, but only that which is good for building others up. But it's not just good enough for us to not speak. We need to replace that unwholesome talk with this. Look at verse 32. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Friends, Mama was wrong, okay? Colonel Sanders may have been wrong, too she told us that if we didn't have anything nice to say, that we shouldn't say anything at all. But Paul says, if we don't have anything nice to say, then we need to find something nice to say. He doesn't just say, don't let any unwholesome talk come from your mouth, but he says, but say the things that are useful for building others up. He doesn't just say, stop saying bad things about other people, but he says, replace those bad things with, with kindness and compassion and forgiveness. Notice that he says here don't don't forgive he doesn't say forgive people as they deserve it. It's not what he says. You know so often our forgiveness is based on the deservingness of the other person, isn't it? I praise God that he doesn't forgive me as I deserve. He forgives me as I don't deserve. And he calls us to forgive other people in the same way. He says, forgive as God has forgiven you through Jesus. And friends, when we do, Paul tells us here that we will be walking in the way of love, that we will be following the example of Jesus. Friends, we may not be able to heal blindness or raise people from the dead, but we can choose kindness and compassion, and forgiveness. We can build others up when everyone else is just tearing them down. So let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. We can love others as Jesus has loved us. And Jesus humbled himself, even to the point of death, to love you and me. Jesus suffered and sacrificed self to care For your and my greatest need. To love and to serve others as Jesus has done for us is a willingness to have our lives interrupted. Again, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, he said, We must be ready to uh, allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. God will be consistently crossing our paths and canceling our plans by sending us people with claims and petitions. Friends, God brings people into our lives and gives us opportunities to show his love to by our compassion and our care for them. But friends, ultimately the choice is yours. Jesus told us that the harvest was plentiful, but the workers were few. Few are the people who will choose to follow the example of Jesus. Few are the people who will choose to build others up instead of tear them down. Few are those who will be kind and compassionate and forgive as they have been forgiven. Few are those who will put the needs of others first even if it means that they have to suffer and sacrifice to do it. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And friends, we can start. We can start sacrificing self and serving in our very homes. So friends, let me ask you this morning, how might you sacrifice self to serve your spouse? How might you sacrifice yourself to serve your kids? It needs to start in our homes, but it doesn't need to stop there. Because we need to also ask ourselves how might we sacrifice self to serve our neighbors, even, even the ones that annoy us, <laughs> even the ones that cause us trouble? How might we sacrifice self to serve our coworkers? How might we, as a church, sacrifice self to serve the hurting and the needy and the lost right here in Washington, in our community? When we do, we are putting our faith into action. We are giving hands and feet to our faith. We are becoming living examples of the theology that we teach and believe when we put our faith into action to serve other people, even when we are called to sacrifice and to suffer to put their needs above our own. Few are the workers. Jesus cared for others. He served the needy and the hurting and the lost, and then he calls us to do the same. Will you ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers? And then will you have the courage to say, send me. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the example that your son Jesus has given us. We thank you that we can walk in the way of love and we can follow his example when we suffer and sacrifice to serve other people as your son has done for us. Father, we thank you for the ultimate sacrifice that he made for us on the cross, but Father, we also thank you for the small, everyday examples that he gave us as well. That he would stop in a crowded to bring not only physical healing, but emotional and mental healing to this woman who had suffered for 12 years. We thank you for the example of of his compassion that he had for these people in these villages and towns who were hurting and harassed and, and like sheep without a shepherd, Father. We thank you that he showed us how to care and love and sacrifice for others in the everyday. Father, would you help us, not only as individuals, but as your church, to follow his example. Help us see the everyday interruptions that you put in our lives, the plans that we make that are canceled so that we might help someone else and might show them your love and your care. And that more than just their here and now will be changed, but but that they'll be led to have their eternity changed through your son, Jesus. Father, would you use us? We know that the harvest is plentiful and we know that the workers are few still. Father, we say to you this morning, here we are. Send us. Help us to have that courage this week. To love and care for others as you have loved and cared for us. Help us to choose encouragement, kindness, compassion, and forgiveness instead of bitterness and rage and anger and fighting. Help us to be examples that point other people to you. Father, give us the strength to do so. We ask all of this in your son Jesus' name.